Indeed, as we just sang, Christ Jesus our Lord has ascended on high, ascended on high in might to reign. He is reigning today. We consider that ascension and that reign through his ascension tonight from the Gospel of John. We're going to read the Gospel of John, chapter 13, being in verse 31, and reading the end of chapter 14 in connection with Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Days 14 to 16, our Catechism walks us through Christ's steps of humiliation. And our Catechism shows us how it is that we benefit and share in the benefits of Christ's humiliation, what He did for us in being born and suffering and dying on the cross. But in Lord's Days 17 through 19, the Catechism shows us likewise how it is that we as believers also share in the benefits of Christ's exaltation how we share in the power of his resurrection, how we are assured by the surety of his ascension and that he is now reigning, seated at God's right hand. Here in John chapters 13 and 14, Christ has not yet been exalted, but he very soon will be. After he endures the cross, after he has conquered the grave, he will return to his Father who is greater than all. And this, he says to his disciples, is to be a matter of rejoicing. Even though Jesus is leaving, even though he is going away, it is nonetheless for their good. Listen to how Jesus says it in the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 31 of chapter 13. So when he, that is Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I also say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this I will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. 
Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So far, God's holy word, may he bless that to us tonight. We also want to consider Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 24 in the back of our Psalter hymnals. Lord's 18 should also be found in the order of service found on the front page of our website. Lord's 18 of the Catechism. There the Catechism asks us in question 46, What do you mean by saying, He, that is Jesus, ascended into heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was lifted up from the earth into heaven. 
and will be there for our good until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Question 47, but isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? We confess Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is not absent from us for a moment. Question 48, if his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he has taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is and remains personally united to his humanity. And finally, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven a guarantee that Christ, our head, will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. And third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a further guarantee. By the Spirit's power, we make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. This, the church of Jesus, does believe. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever wished that when Jesus rose again from the dead, that he would have just stayed with us here on the earth? Wouldn't that make our faith so much easier if only we could see him with our eyes and hear him with our ears? Wouldn't we be so much more assured of the love that he has for us if only we could feel the the physical warm embrace of our Savior wrapped around us. Perhaps some of you boys and girls who are listening have heard of how Jesus used to, to lay his hands upon the children, how he would speak also to the children and say to them that to them also belonged the kingdom of heaven. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if he was with us tonight, if he was with us in our living rooms at our our kitchen tables, if he was with us singing the praises of God together with us, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I must confess to you this evening that I myself have at times downplayed the very truths of what we've just confessed here in Lord's Day 18 of our catechism. It's awfully easy, isn't it, to lose sight of the gospel reality that it is, in fact, to our advantage that Christ has return to his Father in heaven. Dare I say it is an undervaluing of the importance of Christ's ascension into heaven that the practice of Ascension Day services wanes so greatly, that the attendance of our own Ascension Day service is oftentimes so poor because we forget just how vital, just how important, just how advantageous it is that the Lord Jesus is indeed seated at God's right hand. But I hope that we can take some comfort this evening in knowing that we are not alone in this experience. That even Jesus' disciples struggled with the very same thing. They did not want Jesus to go away. They did not understand how it was better, how it was to their advantage that Jesus would would leave them on the earth and return to his Father in heaven. In their minds, their way was better than God's way. 
And wasn't that one of the things among many which Jesus oftentimes had to rebuke his disciples for? I trust you remember that infamous account between the Apostle Peter and the Lord Jesus in Matthew 16. Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus has said that upon that confession, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And while the disciples are on board with this great building project, they are not on board with the blueprints of that building project. Peter denounces Jesus. He says, far be it from you, Lord, that you should suffer in this way. Far be it from you that you should go to the cross and die in this way. And yet, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get away from me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you are setting your mind on the things of man. And isn't that our propensity as well, people of God, to set our minds on the things of man rather than than on the things of God. We too are oftentimes so nearsighted that way, aren't we? That's why the last question and answer of Lord's Day 18 picks up on what the Apostle Paul will say at the start of Colossians chapter 3, that yes, Jesus has gone away. He has ascended into heaven. But He has done that so that in the sending of His Spirit, we might no longer set our minds on earthly things. We might no longer set our minds on the things of man, but set our minds on on those things that are above where Christ is even now seated at God's right hand. And more than that, He has sent His Spirit as a further guarantee that Christ will indeed take us, His members, to be with Himself where He is in heaven. What a remedy for hearts that are so easily troubled in this world. What a remedy to know that even though Jesus is in heaven, while we are still on earth, still on earth, to to face sickness and viruses like the coronavirus today, to us belongs the comfort and the confession that even though Jesus is in heaven and we are on the earth, in His divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, He is not absent from us even for a moment. He has not ceased to be our Emmanuel, God with us. He is still the the good shepherd who, who walks alongside us in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us as much today as He ever was. That's not only the comfort of our confession, but that's precisely the message that Jesus has for His disciples here in John chapter 14. As He seeks to assure them, even as He would assure us tonight, so as to say, Even though I am leaving, even though I'm going away, returning to my Father in heaven, I will not be absent from you even for a moment. But I go to prepare a place for you, to plead your cause in the presence of my Father for you. And I am providing a a paraclete for you, a divine helper. So that no matter where you are, so that no matter what you are going through, you will know that I am with you. In the midst of the chaos and everything going on in this world, in the midst of so much turmoil and ruin, 
Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but I give you a permanent, lasting peace for this world's perils. Beloved, your ascended Savior is not absent from you even for a moment, but he was lifted up into heaven as we confess while his disciples watched for our good. And he will be there for our good until he comes again to judge living in the dead. He is preparing a place for us in his Father's house. He is pleading the cause for us in his Father's presence. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus has begun to speak to his disciples about how the time has come for his physical sojourn on the earth to come to an end. But how disheartening it is for his disciples to hear that where Jesus is going, they cannot come. As you know, these disciples have dedicated their lives to following Jesus. Where Jesus went, they went. Where Jesus stayed, they stayed. That had been the nature of their discipleship these last three years. And in these three years, they have seen truly amazing and unforgettable things. They have seen Jesus turn water into wine. They have seen him heal those who are blind from birth. Those who are crippled from birth begin to walk and leap for joy. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Some of them even saw Jesus in all his glory at that Mount of Transfiguration. It's all been so great and so glorious and wonderful. But now changes are coming. And as it is often the case with us, the disciples find themselves like us wishing that things could just remain the same. And so their hearts are troubled. They are not ready for Jesus to go away. Some of them are no doubt feeling very ashamed. Feeling very ashamed because not moments before this account, Jesus, the one they call Lord and Master, Son of God, has knelt down and he has washed the feet of those who had previously been arguing, which of us is the greatest? They stood almost dumbfounded as the one who truly was the greatest stooped down to wash their feet. And it should have been the other way around. And so they feel ashamed. You can also about imagine the sense of confusion and fear that must have begun to, to fill the upper room. One of us is going to betray our Lord. Where he is going, we cannot come. Peter is going to deny him three times. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus, why why are you saying all these things? But notice, people of God, how in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their fear and their confusion, Jesus ministers to his disciples. Yes, Judas is going to betray him. And yes, Peter is going to deny him not once, but three times. And yes, all his disciples, they're going to scatter. And very quickly, Jesus is going to endure the curse of God and the wrath of God against sin that he himself did not even commit. And yet in the midst of all these things, as that fateful hour hastens on, Jesus ministers to his disciples. He does that because he loves them. Because he cares for them a great deal. 
And I believe it is John's desire in this account that you should come to see how Jesus loves you in the same way this evening. Jesus ministers also to you by his word and spirit. He does that because he loves you. He does that because he also cares for you a great deal, far more than you'll ever fully know. So that you might know tonight that it is his desire from heaven as your ascended Savior to calm your troubled hearts, even as he sought to calm the troubled hearts of his disciples in that upper room. Listen again to how he says it. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I am going to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself so that where I am there, you may be also. And you know where I am going. For I am the way and the truth and the life. Perhaps some of you have troubled hearts this evening. I dare say that among those tuning in to the worship service right now are many troubled hearts. Many troubled hearts that are plagued by the same feelings of shame, the same feelings of of confusion and fear as Jesus' disciples were feeling in that upper room. Perhaps some of you also are worried and anxious about the road that lies ahead. We've been hearing on repeat, haven't we, from the news, the same troubling statistics, the same words of warning about the spread of the coronavirus. And so it's easy for us, isn't it, to be given over to a spirit of fear. We want to ask, why is this happening? We don't understand. We're confused and troubled in our hearts. Maybe some of you are now feeling more lonely and more isolated than you ever have experienced before. Not able to see extended family. Not able to see close friends. Not able to to gather together in the assembly of God's people as you look forward to doing from Sunday to Sunday. Perhaps some of you are listening tonight and are single like I am or you've been widowed in the past. And so in this time of social distancing, you only feel all the more a sense of being passed over or overlooked. You feel like you are all alone. And yet in the midst of these things, your ascended Savior speaks. He speaks to you. He ministers to you. And he says to you the same thing he said to his disciples so long ago. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says to you tonight that even if you feel like you are all alone, even if you feel passed over, overlooked, that you have not been overlooked by Jesus, you have not been passed over by Jesus, And as your ascended Savior, He cares for you far more than you'll ever fully know. And more than that, by His divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, He is not absent from you for a moment. Even when you feel most alone, Jesus is with you. He is there at your side. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. His ascension in no way challenges or undermines that fundamental gospel reality. 
Perhaps there are others who are tuning in tonight who have troubled hearts because you are still bearing the weight of your shame on your own shoulders. Maybe you wonder in your hearts, my sins, they are so great and so many. Can there really be a room in the Father's house for a sinner like me? But to you also, troubled sinner, the ascended Savior speaks. He reminds of those words from Hebrews chapter 9 that Christ has entered into heaven as our great high priest. Why? To stand in the presence of his Father on our behalf. I trust you know those familiar words in the first epistle of John where he says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for all your sins. What that means is that not only is he pleading your cause in the presence of his Father, but he has also provided for you a righteous covering for your shame. So that it is your Father's good pleasure to grant you entrance into his heavenly home. That's the point that our catechism is making as well. Even in the midst of your worry and your shame, your ascended Savior resides in heaven for your good. He resides in heaven for your good to assure you from there by His divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit of that gospel reality that because you believe in Him, the Father's house has become your home. And there's a place for you there. Brothers and sisters, don't you see this evening that we as believers in Christ have the only great remedy? We have the only remedy for that far greater worldwide pandemic that is the troubled heart. Just look around. There are so many people who are plagued by distress, plagued by loneliness and fear with no peace of mind, no comfort for their souls. This virus is leveling the playing field in that way, as even those who thought themselves to have so much are starting to see it. They have so very little. Because their riches and their power and their clout cannot in themselves keep them safe. No one is totally immune in that way. The coronavirus cares not about celebrity or famine or wealth. But everyone is at risk, albeit to greater and lesser degrees. And yet it is to us, beloved, that belongs the comfort. To us it is that belongs the hope that Jesus in the midst of these things is not absent from us even for a moment. It is even as we confess in Lord's Day 1 of the Catechism that even if and when hairs do fall from our heads, whether in this life or when we are dying and decaying in the grave, not one of them falls with the will of our Father in heaven. To us alone belongs that comfort that Jesus said, that whatever we ask in His name, this also He will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, it is only an account of Christ, a sanction that He is no longer here, but that He is in heaven at God's right hand, that the author of Hebrews can say, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might truly find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. I hope and I pray that you have been praying your way through the midst of all these things going on around us. 
And I hope that you'd be thankful tonight that those prayers are made effectual because Christ is there at God's right hand. Because Christ is there standing in the Father's presence, pleading our cause. He is not ashamed of us to stand for us there. But he's saying to the Father, hear them, even as you hear me, because they are my brothers and my sisters. He's able to do that only because he is the ascended one. He has not left his disciples to fend for themselves. He has not left you as orphans. But having ascended into heaven, not only is he preparing a place for you, not only is he pleading the cause for you, but he has also provided a paraclete for you. Among the greatest advantages that Christ's ascension affords the believer is the pouring out and sending of his Spirit. In this, his farewell discourse, both here in chapter 14, but also in the two chapters to come, the provision of his Spirit becomes perhaps the most powerful source of confidence and encouragement for his disciples. The giving of his spirit is what gives them comfort as Jesus goes away and now all the, the targ and ridicule is directed at him is now going to be redirected at his disciples and yet they can have calm, they can be still and know that Christ is God in virtue of the sending of his spirit. Our catechism picks up on that as well in verses four, in answers 47 and 49. We notice first of all in answer 47 that although in his human nature Christ is not now with us on earth, in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is not absent from us. Not even for a moment. Listen to how Jesus says it in verses 16 and 17. He says to his disciples, he says to us, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, But you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. In the well-known words of John Calvin, it is the Holy Spirit who is that bond which unites us to Christ. It is the work of the Spirit, says Calvin, to both bring Christ to us, but also to bring Christ to us. The Spirit, says Paul in Romans 8, is the one who bears witness with our spirits that we really are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. You notice, at least in our covenant Bibles, that the Holy Spirit is described by Jesus as another helper who will be with us forever. Perhaps you've learned that the actual word Jesus uses here is paraclete. And while there's no direct English translation for paraclete, the sense of it is to describe a person who appears on the behalf of another. To describe one who mediates, who intercedes. That is what the Spirit does. That is how He helps us. He comes to us on the behalf of Christ. So that not a moment need go by. When we wonder, is God really with us? Is Christ with me right now? He promises to send the paraclete, the divine helper. So we might never doubt the promise that he is indeed with us always to the end of the age. And so it really is a wonderful provision that Jesus is promising here 
for his distressed and troubled disciples. He assures them, even as he would assure us this evening, that he is not abandoning them. Jesus does not leave his people to fend for themselves. He does not leave his children as orphans. But rather in the sending of his spirit, his help and fellowship are no less real from heaven than it was when it was when he was on the earth. By his divinity, majesty, grace and spirit, he is every bit as much our Emmanuel today, God with us as he ever was. And so Jesus goes on to say in chapter 16 that it is to our advantage that he should return to his Father. For it is his Spirit who will be the one to make effective the, the preaching of the gospel in the hearts of the elect. Jesus says that when the paraclete comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so it has been and continues to be for us today that when we feel the, the guilt of our sin, that it is the Spirit of Christ who is graciously convicting us of our sin and and summoning us to to repent and to look to Christ, to find our righteousness in Him and in Him alone, lest we face the terrible judgment on the day of His coming. Jesus goes on to say in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 16 that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And whatever, and he will declare to the things that are to come. He will glorify me, said Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He says in chapter 14 here in our passage, that he will bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus has said. What a helper he is, what a helper he will continue to be. That he will bring to our remembrance those words of Jesus, I am with you always. And our catechism is a faithful summary of God's word touches on all these promises when it says that it is the Spirit's powerful working alone that we make the goal of our lives, not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is now seated at God's right hand. Because we know that it is the great fallen condition of the world that there are so many people of this world whose horizon never goes beyond this world. So many people who are only striving for the things of today. They have no hope for tomorrow. Still striving for those fading glories of the deadened kingdom of darkness. They have not been transferred out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom and domain of God's beloved Son. But the Spirit of Christ has been granted to us, hasn't He? He has been granted to us to remind us again and again that our lives really are hidden with Christ and God. And by His Spirit, He continually reorients us again to to see that even though we still find ourselves living in this earthly colony, our citizenship is in heaven where Christ is at God's right hand. The Spirit reorients us again in the midst of this world's perils to remind us that the Ascended One reigns. Christ is sovereign. He is King of Kings in the midst of the coronavirus. King of Kings in the midst of all things. The Spirit reminds us of that again and again, doesn't He? We thank God for that. What What a comfort it is for us to confess the truth of God's Word this evening. To confess that even though Christ's humanity remains in heaven, 
to be our advocate and mediator, that his divinity is not limited, but is present everywhere in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit. This is how it is possible, brothers and sisters, for troubled-hearted disciples to have the peace of Christ, even we no longer have the humanity of Christ here on the earth. As we confess in question answer 48, Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of his humanity. And that gives us peace when we begin to feel as though seeing Jesus face to face is too far away. Jesus promises that his peace is for you. That's what he promises you tonight as you prepare yourselves to enter into another week of uncertainties, to enter into, to enter into another week of Plans being derailed of shattered routines, of the hectic chaos of kids at home because they can't be at school. Jesus promises that his peace is for you. He says in verses 27 and following, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father. My Father is greater than I. Do you view the ascension of Christ tonight as something to rejoice in, people of God? I know that's sometimes difficult. That faith isn't always easy. Faith being the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things we cannot yet see. But we need to trust that which our catechism expresses so well, that Christ, while his disciples watched, was lifted up into heaven, and that he will be there for our good until he comes again to judge living in the dead. Jesus is there for your good tonight. And he summons you to believe that this evening to view the ascension of Christ to God's right hand as being more advantageous to you than if you are still with you here on the earth. That it is good that he has been vindicated, that he has been seated at God's right hand there to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. That we might know him to be the sovereign king that he is. For until that day, we confess that we have our own flesh and have not guaranteed that Christ, our head, will indeed take us, his members, to be with him where he is in heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus has promised his disciples in the Gospel of John. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to be where I am, so that where I am, there you may be also. And so no matter where you are or what you are going through tonight, you can trust, beloved, that your ascended Savior is not absent from you for a moment. And believe me, beloved, that there is room enough for you in the Father's house of many mansions. If it were not so, would not Jesus have told us otherwise? Surely, people of God, unlike the kings of the world and the kings throughout history, our king is no liar. But what our king promises, promises is exactly what he does and accomplishes. And what he promises is that he is coming back for us to take us to be where he is. As an old Dutch Reformed pastor once put it, since Christ has taken our flesh into heaven, 
There is nothing in the world or in hell that shall prevent our glorious entrance as his purchased ones to be in heaven with him forever. You see, the reason why Jesus has gone into heaven is that he can later return to the earth. He is in heaven only temporarily so that when he comes, this earthly colony, the province of God, once lost to sin, might be united to that sweet and blessed country, that home of God's elect. His ascension ensures the future, the future renewal and restoration that God promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Because when Christ comes again, He brings heaven with Him. When He comes again, He brings all the joys of heaven with Him. But until then, He sends His Spirit as a guarantee to ensure that all His elect will be gathered in, to ensure that our cause for the Father will be made known, to remind us that a day shall come when we will be with the Lord, seeing Him face to face forever. Just consider tonight, people of God, how he has done that for you. How the ascended Savior, by his Spirit, has grafted you into his body. Grafted you into that life-giving vine that you might bear much fruit. And so he leaves you with perfect peace tonight. Not like the peace of the world which comes and goes. Not like the peace that we oftentimes wish to each other, well-meant wishes, but not able to accomplish the thing we wish for. But he speaks a word of peace, and so it is. Permanent peace for this world's perils and this world's disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because Jesus offers a peace-filled benediction full of grace. And divine power so that every ounce of fear and shame that resides in your heart might be transformed into courage and confidence as we go forth into the world in his service. Even though Jesus is in heaven and we are on earth, he is not absent from you for a moment. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is with you always. Even to the end of the age as he promised. Amen. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, what a comfort it is to confess and to know tonight that Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, is with us and that He loves us and that He ministers to us even as He ministered to His disciples. Father, may we never take for granted the reality that Jesus has indeed ascended into heaven and is at Your right hand. May you remind us again and again that he is preparing a place for us, pleading the cause for us. May that paraclete that he promised continue to help us in this day, in this setting, but also forever until Christ comes again. To effect that ultimate peace and shalom which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, that the heart of man has yet to imagine. But may we rest until that day in knowing that we have peace as believers in Christ, Knowing that as the ascended Savior, he reigns. 